0: It's so good to see you again, and I thank you for taking the time to tune in and watch this. And again, I hope it is something that is encouraging to you and something that feeds your soul. We all know that when we come to the time of gathering around the Word of God, it's always profitable because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that everything in the Scripture is inspired of God or God-breathed, and it's also profitable, whatever it might be. And so even some of those passages of Scripture that we might not really understand or might not have just a whole lot of interest in, we still need to look at them because the Bible says they're profitable and God teaches us through all of those things. And the Bible is a story of God and it starts at the very first verse, in the beginning, God. Those are the words that change everything. And before anything else existed, there was God and he is the self-existent one, and boy, that'll blow your mind, won't it, when you try to think of that. And yet, uh, that's what we believe, and that's the one that we trust in, and uh, he is far beyond our comprehension and far beyond our understanding. His ways are past finding out, and that's why anything we know about him, it's not discovered, it's revealed. You see the difference in those words? It's not discovered. It's not that we went on this quest to find God and we go, oh, look what I found. It's that God is the one who has disclosed himself and revealed himself to us. And in his word, he also reveals his nature and his character and his power, but also his grace, of course, and his mercy and his love. So when we talk about worldviews that are threatening to Christianity, we've talked about Gnosticism, this idea that There is something outside of God and outside of what he has revealed to us that that's the real secret, the real key to what we need to know. We also have talked about legalism, which kind of does the same thing, but in a different way. In a quest to be obedient, we try to climb the ladder. We try to take the steps so that we, by our own power and our own strength, can get closer and closer to God. And in doing so, we do exactly what Um, Eve was told by the serpent in the garden. The serpent said, In the day you eat, you'll be like God. Well, we are on a quest through legalism to make ourselves gods over other people and gods over situations where we rule and we judge and we do it in addition to what God has said. It's outside of the Word of God and in addition to the Word of God because there's something inside of us that says, Well, what we find in the Bible can't possibly can't possibly be enough, and yet that's what God has given us. So always be careful when you are facing a situation and your first reaction is to say, can you find me a book on this that's outside of the Bible? Doesn't mean that that's wrong, because they may be expounding on the Word of God and teaching us the Word of God, which is certainly a good thing. But it could also be that in our minds we think the Bible could not possibly say anything about what I'm going through or what I need, and that is, well, that's kind of a slap in the face to God. So we want to reject Gnosticism, and we want to reject legalism, and we want to live and function in grace and in the sufficiency of the Word of God. Now we get into one that is called dualism, and it's uh, something that you are probably somewhat familiar with. And uh, you've heard of yin and yang in uh, Chinese religion and philosophy, and the idea sometimes in uh, Buddhism of balance and those kind of things, and uh, those are becoming big words. And dualism, basically, if I take this big coin that I have here, don't worry, it's not worth anything. Uh, two sides of a coin. I just use it because it's easier for you to see. And they would say one side of the coin represents good. The other side of the coin, is evil. And notice they're the same shape, they're the same weight, they're the same scope. It's just two sides of one coin, good and evil, good and evil. Now as Christians in a biblical worldview, we certainly recognize the existence of good and evil, don't we? We know that, we know that. But the question and the challenge would be, are they two sides of the coin? Now I'll explain to you what I mean by that in just a moment because um, the actual definition we're looking at here is dualism is the, the belief that good and evil are equal in power and essentially two sides of the same coin. Okay. Now at first glance that doesn't sound horrible because a lot of us have kind of been raised to think like that. But uh, I'm going to show you that's not true and it can't be true because number one it says that God and Satan are equals. Now think about what that means. Is that what the Bible teaches? Now that's the concept some people have. In fact, I have asked people before, what is the opposite of God? And people instinctively say, Satan, the devil. But that can't be because God has no opposite because there is no one that is like him. There's no other side of the coin, in other words, when we're talking about God. You see, there are... uh, People and philosophies, religions, what have you, that uh, teach things like this. For example, Mormonism. They teach that um, the God that, that we serve used to be a human, and they, uh, you know, that's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? He married, and then he was uh, a good person, and he inherited his own planet, which is planet Earth. And Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. They are having sexual relations and they're producing spirit children. And spirit children, that's how the earth was populated. You and I are spirit children of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And if we would be good Mormons, one of these days we'll get our own planet. And uh, that's why they believe in the foreverness of marriage because everybody has their own planet and they populate that planet. And it, it gets really weird, doesn't it, after a while. Well, here's the thing that they teach, that Satan, Lucifer, the devil, and Jesus Christ are products of the sexual relation of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and that they are spirit brothers. Well, what does that tell you? This idea of equality. There's the good kid and there's the bad kid. And while they may kind of disagree with the idea that they are completely equals or anything, but that's... That's kind of where we're coming from on that, isn't it? Two sides of the coin, the good kid and the bad kid. The one that we should follow and the one that we should not follow. Spirit brothers, not superior in any way to the other one. And sometimes in you look and you see in Eastern philosophy the whole idea of balance. I mentioned yin and yang. You've seen that, that symbol that comes from Eastern religions. And it's the idea that everything in life and in the universe, it just works out best if it's in balance. So if there's good and if there's evil, you can't have the good being heavier than the evil. And you can't have the evil being heavier than the good. Or it won't balance out. It won't be right. Everything has to be in harmony. And so they don't really see... Uh, sin and righteousness or justification or anything like we do, they see life as just simply getting everything in balance, in equality, that type of thing. And um, also when you uh, think about uh, New Age thought, there's darkness and light. There's the good side and there's the bad side. And our job is to try to get enlightened and find out that we really are gods ourselves and goddesses ourselves. And there are good and bad in the spirit world and all of that type of thing. But I want you to uh, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 46 and look at verse 9. And I want you to consider something here. Isaiah writes to us, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Did you get that? No one like me. There's no balance for God because God doesn't need to be balanced. He is complete. He is what theologians call absolute. He has need of nothing. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need our fellowship. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need the devil. He doesn't need anything like that at all. God is an absolute God. There is no one like Him. And so I would say that if you look at uh, the world and you think about these coins, well, there is God, and God is just God, both sides, everything that he is. And then the devil is here. And we'll talk in a little bit about why he's not the opposite to God, he's not equal to God, and there's nothing even close that would put those two together. That is actually the devil's way, dualism is the devil's way of exalting himself, isn't it? I will be like God, he said. I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. And he presents himself to us as the other side of God. That's what he did with Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, didn't he? Yeah, God has promised you some things and told you some things, but I've got something for you too, and it's just as good, if not better, than what God has for you. So it's an exaltation exaltation of the enemy. Secondly... Notice here that dualism says that good and bad are mere choices, as we said, to be balanced. We just need to get it in the right order. Nobody's perfect and nobody is ever going to be completely righteous. We've all got good and we've got bad in us and we just need to balance the whole thing out. When I was uh, first saved, somebody told me that you've got two natures that are dwelling within you and um, it's kind of like there's a black dog and a white dog And they're fighting against each other all the time. Well, that seemed reasonable to me. I've kind of felt that pull, and you have too. And um, they said, you know which one wins? And I said, no. And he said, the one that you feed. Now, that makes sense. You feed the flesh and you starve uh, the spirit. Well, your flesh is probably going to uh, dominate some things and vice versa. Except that as I've grown in the Lord, I've come to understand something. The old nature, the Bible says in the book of Romans, it's dead. It's been put out of business. The word is unemployed, actually. And uh, we've been given a new nature in Christ. Now think about this. When you were uh, lost, you were a body and you were a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, personality, that type of thing. And when you were born again, God sent His Spirit to live inside of you. In fact, the Apostle Paul said... That my body and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the dwelling place of God. The sanctuary is not where we gather to worship. The sanctuary is in you. You are the church. You are the place where worship uh, is done. It's inside of you. It either happens or it doesn't. No matter what we do when we gather publicly and corporately, worship either happens or it doesn't happen in your life based on what happens in your heart because you are the sanctuary, okay? Now, the Bible also says that he made you spiritually alive. Now, is that just simply the Holy Spirit indwelling us or did something else happen? Well, in Romans chapter 8, I think it's verse 16, it says that his spirit, that's God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit, our spirit, that we are the children of God. You know what that is telling me? That not only did God the Holy Spirit come to bring me to Jesus, to give me faith to believe, but He made me a new creature in Christ, and He made my spirit alive. So inside of me today, I have my spirit, which is my new nature. I'm a child of God, and I have the Holy Spirit, and those two are opposing my old nature. You know who's going to win in that battle every single time? It's the new nature and the Holy Spirit of God. They far outweigh what is in your old nature. And so while they fight, and the Bible does teach that, and while there's a battle going on, and I'm to yield myself to the Spirit of God, uh, at the same time, when you think about it, who's the most powerful? Are they equals inside of you and inside of me? And I would contend, no, they're not equal. They're not equal. God is working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure, the Bible says. And that's why He can guarantee us that all things work together for good to those who are the called of God. Um, and, And why is that happening? Because verse 29 in Romans 8 says, we are constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. And so that means whatever it is that you're going through, how is God going to take that and use that to make you more like Jesus? Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's in a positive way. Sometimes he blesses and rewards you, and uh, you take steps forward. You grow and you mature. You're giving more. You're given more responsibilities, blessings, those kind of things. And sometimes, according to Hebrews chapter 12, what does he do when we make wrong choices? Does it thwart his plan? Does it trip up everything? Does he have to run and scramble and try to find something else? No. He just disciplines us so that we learn to walk in His ways and to follow Him. So whether I am blessed and rewarded because I've been obedient to the Lord, or whether I'm being disciplined by Him, I guess both of them are a form of discipline, aren't they? Positive and negative reinforcement. And what is God doing in that? He is making you and me into the image of Christ. In other words, you can't lose. It's just a matter of how are you going to make it through? And how are you going to, you can either do it, my dad used to say, you can do it the hard way or you can do it the easy way. And so as we work through this, we understand that, that um, this is not just a choice to be balanced. Eastern religion and philosophy would say, don't really worry about fighting the evil so much and don't worry about the good so much as one dominating. Just make them balanced, make them equal because they really don't see Sin or anything like that in the way that the Bible teaches it. So that's the second thing wrong with it. We just, we don't really fight, we don't really conquer, we don't really overcome, we're not really sanctified by anything. We just want to balance the scale. Now I want to uh, say that that goes against what the Bible teaches about human nature. We are born sinners. We don't sin or we don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because it's our nature. As sinners, kind of like a dog barks because he's a dog. He eats meat because he's a dog. It's his nature. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, and adulteries. In other words, just about every social uh, criminal type uh, issue that we fight, it comes out of what? He didn't say it comes out of the environment. It doesn't come out of poverty. It doesn't come out of not having what you really want and being frustrated. I'm sure all those things contribute to it. But the problem really is in the heart of man. You have to have a heart change. It's not just a balance of the heart. It's not just having good and evil to where both dogs inside of us are well fed and they're not fighting each other anymore. It's not anything like that at all. The Bible presents us as people that are born as sinners with an evil nature that must be dealt with by the cross, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to get more graphic? Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and start reading with me at verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks... "...are all under sin." So Jew or Gentile, all under sin. Nobody has any advantage there, do they? All under sin. And then he says, "That is "...as it is written." So he's going to quote from the Old Testament. "...there is none righteous, not even one." Let that sink in. "...there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless." There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps, that's a snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. And that's what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. In the, I think it's the 20th chapter, uh, maybe 19th or 20th, twenty-one, somewhere in there you'll find it. There's a great white throne judgment, isn't there? And everybody is going to be called up who is lost. That's the judgment of the lost man. And they're going to be called up, whether they're living or dead, standing before the great white throne of Jesus Christ. And he's going to open books that are written about them, and they're going to be books that are about their works. Because these are the people that are going to say, the good in my life outweighs the bad. And so the Lord's going to say, okay, let's see if that's true. And he opens up the books and he finds that every work that they've ever done has been tainted, infected by sin. And because of that, they fall short of God's standard, which is perfection in keeping the law. And if you stumble in one point, the book of James says you stumble in all. And so that's when they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Why? They're going to be shown that their excuses and their ideas and their defense against God is going to be mouth-shutting. There's nothing else that they can say. That's what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 3. So this is not something simply to kind of be balanced out. Good and evil are going to dominate, and they're going to dominate in our lives. There is no balance, so to speak. Number three, when we uh, think about dualism, it makes humans sovereign. Okay, I know I said a while ago that this exalts the devil, but do you know how the devil exalts himself so often? He does it by saying, if you will do what I say, then you will be like God, and you will have your eyes open, just like he did to Eve. And so the exaltation of humans, putting them above God, putting them to where they are the sovereign ones, where they are ruling, And that's why so many religions will try to teach you that you are uh, not serving God. You are a God. You just don't know that you're a God and you have to be enlightened to find out about the divinity that is within you. And by exalting humanity, what happens? That takes God down, at least in our eyes, and it then causes the enemy to take over and the enemy to magnify himself. So Satan magnifies himself by magnifying humanity. Think about that. So that's what the third point is. It makes humans sovereign. It kind of says that good and evil are there and they cancel each other out. That's what happens. Because they are opposite sides of things, they just cancel each other out. It's kind of in neutral. What is it that really makes the difference? It's you. It's me. We are actually sovereign and not God. You and I are the ones who make things happen, not prophecies, not the word of God, nothing like that, because good and evil are just two sides of the same coin. What happens? We are the ones who give weight to one side or the other. You see how this works and how unbiblical it is? Um, So who wins? Well, it's basically your choice. So humans do that, and God doesn't really know what he's going to do until we do what we're going to do. And prophecy and all of that is really irrelevant because those decisions can't possibly be made until there are people living like you and like me to make our choices, and then God has to respond to them. Did you know that there, uh, at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University, they were teaching that concept to preachers who were going to become Methodist pastors, and they called it open theism, that God doesn't really know the future because in order to know the future, you have to be there, and you have to be there with the people who are determining the future. And who determines the future? Not God, but people, and God simply responds to what they're going to do. But as of right now, He has no idea what the future holds or what He is going to do. You can see how all of this kind of amalgamates into um, this kind of thinking to elevate man and elevate humanity and so elevate the devil. In fact, back when uh, decades ago when I was first studying about uh, uh, God's sovereignty and election, I asked a, a preacher, an old preacher that I respected, and here's what he said. Ready for this? You've heard this. Well, election to me is God voted for me. The devil voted against me, and I cast the tie-breaking vote. Okay, you hear what that's saying? God voted for me. The devil voted against me, and their votes counted each other, canceled each other out, until I here I come, I make the choice, and I'm the sovereign one. Well, the idea of that is really abhorrent. Because God and the devil are not equals. They don't cancel each other out. And you and I are certainly not the sovereign ones who make everything happen. It's like we look at us and we go, this is, this is where it all happens, buddy. This is where the magic is. It's in me, it's in you, and it's in what we do. Well, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 46, verse 8. Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and stand firm, Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Now here's the point we want to get to. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Boy, that doesn't put God and the devil equal and you and me making the, uh, uh, deciding, casting the tie-breaking vote or anything, does it? That says that God's already got a plan that there is no one like Him. There's no dualism. There's no one like Him. He's already determined the end from the beginning and there's no question about what's going to take place because His counsel and purpose shall stand. That's the God that we find in the Bible. And that brings us to this last point as we wrap things up that uh, no power is dominant. You know, there's either victory or there's defeat. We don't know the outcome. That's what dualism teaches that there's no power that is dominant. And so history is still being written, and victory or the outcome there is uncertain, and it's unknown, that prophecies don't have any relevance. Those are just wishful thinking. In fact, I heard one person say that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it wasn't really finished yet. That was just his faith statement. Isn't that crazy? And uh, yet the Bible says that the devil was disarmed by Jesus on the cross. Read Colossians chapter 1. And so, Victory or good or evil and all of that has yet to be determined, and it's determined by us, not by God, and really not even by the devil. So everything kind of gets diminished to <clears throat> being cancelled out until we until we do something. So we hold God hostage, and then maybe in a certain extent uh, in that theory we hold the devil hostage too. But um, Psalm. 110, verse 1, and we'll close on this. The Lord says to my Lord, that's the Father speaking to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so the conclusion, why is Satan not the opposite of God, even though he certainly opposes God? Well, remember, Satan is created, God is not. Satan, therefore, is limited, God is not. Satan is defeated. He was disarmed at the cross. The Bible tells us that during the millennial reign of Christ, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and then he's going to be cast into the lake of fire that Jesus said was actually prepared for the devil and his angels. This is not up for grabs. This is a certainty. Stand in that certainty. God, however, is the creator, God is eternal, God is unlimited. God controls, and God has already won. Because 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory is right now. That victory is already won, already accomplished, and you and I can have it in our lives today. Why? Because this is not a colossal battle between two sides of the same coin. This is not just a balancing act to uh, get the coin to stand on its own and be in harmony. This is not the sovereignty of humans determining whether one side or the other is going to win. This is God who has already planned it and purposed it and He does all things according to His good pleasure and the counsel of His will. And by His grace, He allows us to be on the winning side. So think about that when you see people, when you see sin, When you read the newspaper, when you watch television, when you see the things that are going on, it may seem like humans are in control, but they're not. It may seem like the devil's in control, but he's not. It may seem like evil is winning, and if we could just pull it back a little bit and make it a little more reasonable, how much better life would be. And yet that's not. That's not the way the Bible teaches all of this. God is sovereign. God is in control. And He's the God that loves you. He's the God that sent His Son to die on the cross to bear the wrath for your sin. He's the God who sent His Holy Spirit to live within you and gave you a new nature. And He wants you to walk and to live in His power, in His sovereignty, for His glory. And one of these days, you're going to experience the true victory that is in Jesus. I hope you're experiencing that now. And for sure you will in eternity because dualism is not a biblical philosophy at all. God reigns, God rules, and God has already won the victory. Rest in that, and rejoice in that, and put your hope in that, and may the Lord bless you. And again, I thank you so very much for tuning in to watch this. It blesses me to know that you do so. God bless.